Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Third hour is here, OutKick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Restocking the shelves here on this Monday. We're going through all the results, college and pro, and college shakeup we saw from the Pac-12. Oregon falls to Washington. By the way, Michael Penix Jr. I go very slow. Um, the only way to say that name. He has about 800 more yards passing than Hendon Hooker. That is crazy when you consider how much Tennessee throws the football and how just consistent they are within that offense in Knoxville. Just put that in perspective of what he's doing um, out there in, in Washington. That that I, was a that was a great game. I saw it. Yeah, it was. That, that was a fun finish to that one. A huge win for Washington. A big loss, obviously, for Oregon for their playoff hopes. I saw this stat, though, on Hidden Hooker. You brought up Phoenix. Hooker, in addition to being the most accurate passer in the SEC, 71.1%. He also averages more yards per completion, 14.16, and more yards per, per attempt, over 10, than any other SEC quarterback. That is nearly impossible to pull off. Because yeah. usually if your percentage is over 70 or something gaudy like that, it's short passes, and dunk. Yeah. your pass per attempt, pass per completion is going to be down. It's like seven or less. He is yeah. first in the SEC yeah. in all three categories, which I'm, is remarkable. He is hitting... The long pass at a high clip, percentage-wise. I mean, he threw for 408 yards, two scores in the win, the 62-yard touchdown to Davis, Taj Davis, to tie the game at 34 with, what, three minutes to play in that game. I don't hear his name in, in regards to the Heisman discussion. Is it weird that the Heisman discussion this year is, has been really a non-conversation piece? Well, I feel like there was a lot of hype about Hooker going into the Georgia game, and then once he didn't but it play well... But it was kind of just him, though. Yes, but that's my point. Once he didn't play well, that we stopped talking about everybody. I feel like well, everybody just kind of became the same I don't, at that point. I don't think we were talking about really anybody prior to Hendon Hooker, though. It was... I mean, you had Stroud and then Bryce Young, who's back as the Heisman winner, but... Um, Stetson Bennett, through the first three games, I guess, got a little traction, but... I mean... I, I, re- I mean, you and I, and I think the, the diehards would know that Bo Nix was getting some discussion, but nothing like the hype we would see if it's just a four or five quarterback packed race for this. They, I think that you could easily try to turn it into that manufactured debate. I'm glad we haven't made that here. I'm just kind of surprised we haven't heard more of it. Blake Corum's going to get some, some run, too, who's had a great year as a running back at Michigan. But yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of talk early, and then Hooker's name elevated to the top, and then he had the bad performance, and then now it's just kind of everybody's right around the same when you look at the top. C.J. Stroud, 
uh, you know, Hooker, Bo Nix, all those guys are hanging right around each other. Speaking of Hooker in Tennessee, um, did you have any issue, Hutton, with Josh Heupel scoring to make it 66 at the end of the game? No. With 30 seconds left? No, but I, I realized, like, we are in the middle of the a sea change. Um, and, and Doc has asked me about this this morning. It's a great question. Look at the criteria. I've got strong feelings on this. Look at the criteria for the college football playoff. Nowhere in there is there anything for good sportsmanship. Um, there is, and I'm not against that, by the way. I would also say that when it comes down to common opponents and some splash and some flash to what they're doing, Tennessee doesn't have another resume builder other than pure and utter dominance over their opponent on the final three games, like it or not. And the fact that they ran it back with basically the same exact score from a year ago against a better and much improved Missouri defense, that's an exclamation mark on a game none of those dudes watched on the committee, quite frankly. So they're going to see the number on the paper. Yes. Not the play. Yes. And that, that's the... Uh, there, there's no recognition for, oh, they could have scored again but chose not to. That doesn't... Nowhere is that being discussed in that committee room. So You know what else isn't being discussed? Um, I've, I've heard this ridiculous argument that they're going to look at that and they're going to the, deduct points from Tennessee for lack no. of sportsmanship. And I'm thinking, no, they're not... Most of them are going to look at a bunch of they're going to look at a bunch of charts of statistics and what Tennessee did against opponents and like opponents and points per game and all of that. It's going to be a number. So the higher that number can be, the better you are with the committee. It's really that simple. Look, I would get it if Missouri had conceded and had second and third stringers in and Tennessee still playing Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt in that moment. But when you put your backups in, let them play. Let your backups play the game. Josh Heupel was asked about it today and said, well, we had our twos in. Don't really know what to do in that situation other than let them play football when they work all week to get into a game. And that's what he did. I've, I've got no issue with it at all. Yeah, in the, I, in the moment, you know, you're calling the game and you're thinking, oh, they're going to kneel this out. New Heisel's like, they're going to kneel this out. And I'm thinking, they're about to... They call timeout here. Not I, they're not putting. I mean, they put the they put the seniors in. Like we saw Grant Furking on the field for that play for that touchdown. Yeah, um, they're throwing up the bomb because they're they're running their offense and they're trying to add to the the injury out there. Again, it's not. Is it great sportsmanship? No. Is it great for the resume? Yes. And that's just kind of where we are right now with this committee, which we don't know what they weigh heavier than the other on any given week. And no, everyone's paying attention to Oregon. And, uh, oh, let's, let's take a glimpse at, at Georgia-Mississippi State because, you know, we, we have seen what Missouri did to, to Georgia. Can Mississippi State keep up with them? The answer is no. But, no, I don't think anybody's really paying attention to, me- to Tennessee-Missouri last Saturday compared to the other slate. And uh, we, we give Georgia a ton of credit for what they did to Oregon. And, and this is uh, – with Tennessee-Missouri, it's, it's a bigger picture thing. 
now with style points. Kirk Herbstreit on College Game Day, an ESPN employee, by the way, ESPN has the rights to the college football playoff, said Tennessee needs style points yeah. against these three opponents. And then the moment Tennessee tacks on an extra touchdown, it's like they committed some crime against humanity to score 66 points against Missouri. And oh, by the way, let me remind people, a Missouri team coached by Eli Drinkwitz, who had the audacity to call out Tennessee football in, on a Jim Rome interview before the season. You don't think Josh Heupel keeps receipts? He was joking about how Tennessee's going to have to vacate games and his record's about to get better and made fun of the program under Jeremy Pruitt. That's fine. If you want to take shots when someone's down, good, go ahead. If that's your personality, just understand that the team that you're taking shots at when they have the chance can take that shot right back and they can run it in with 30 seconds left to put 66 on you. This is a fact. I have no issue with it for a number of reasons, and that's one of them. If Josh Heupel wants to go on an interview circuit this summer and call out every opponent he whipped this year and make fun of them in some way, he won't do it because that's not his personality. But if he wants to do that, and those programs have a chance to run the score up on him with that coach, I fully expect them to do it, and I endorse it. If that's in fact the case, they Tennessee currently leads the country with 500, 543 yards and 47 points per game. And the extra touchdown helps with that stat. That will be acknowledged more than going for the touchdown at the end of the game against Missouri. And that's the whole point of why you do it. Uh, it helps the resume. Point blank. It's, and and it's very it's very simple. It's uh it's also a Missouri defense that was worthy of the hype that they were receiving. And Tennessee still scored what was it? Uh, how many un- unanswered points in this game? I mean the final score is sixty six twenty four, but twenty eight to twenty four. So however many that is to sixty six. Yeah, I mean again, like they just thirty six on a day where there was a lot of. 38. Average quarterback play. 38. Hendon Hooker was, was on his game. I thought he rebounded very well from the, the play. I wish we'd have seen this version of him uh, a week ago. Yeah, and, and Missouri, third best defense in the SEC, 13th nationally coming in. And Tennessee had a school record yards against them for the history of the program and 66 points. Here's another uh, stat. This is from Wes Rucker of 24-7. TCU looking head-to-head with Tennessee. TCU has beaten four bowl-eligible teams by an average margin of 6.7 points. Tennessee has beaten six bowl-eligible teams by an average of 22 points. Right. Remember a week ago, Hutton, I criticized the committee because they came out and had this new stat where they said, well, we like that TCU has beaten so many teams with a winning record. But you compare the opponents' records head-to-head, and it's not close. Tennessee's opponents have a far better record as a group than TCU. So that's another one to throw in there. But you're right on what you say. The margin of victory is going to matter, even if the committee wants to argue, and it doesn't matter anymore now that Oregon lost, but that Oregon losing 49-3 to is no different than Tennessee losing 27-13 to because right. Georgia controlled both games. That's bogus. And when it comes down to it on final cutdown day, I don't think that would be the case. Even if they say that now, they're going to look at point totals, and they're going to look at margin of victory for all these teams. Chad, who would you say has lost the most shine in 2022? Arkansas or Kentucky? 
based on expectations in the East and the West. And you can, the West is more difficult. That's fine. Um, Arkansas is a part of that scenario, part of the puzzle of why it's so difficult. I, I think it's a very close race to determine who's lost the most shine here um, based on how I've seen both teams play. Now, Arkansas doesn't have the awful loss that we saw from Kentucky this past week to a Vandy team that hadn't won an SEC game since 2019. I don't know. They've lost um, to Liberty, who just lost to UConn. But at least Liberty was... At least... Liberty... Let's go to Vegas for this. Where is Liberty ranked compared to Vandy on a neutral field? I'm sure they're, they're <laughs> ahead of them. Look, I'm not going to debate that uh, uh, it's a worse loss to lose at home to Vandy. Yeah. It's the worst of those losses, but when you combine my, my one argument, okay, when you combine, you are A and M's only SEC win. Kentucky is Vandy's only SEC yeah, win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are tied for the seller with one SEC win apiece. Arkansas lost to A and M in the worst year A and M's going to have maybe for a long time. You would think, and then to lose at home to Liberty, I think the combination of those two, pretty bad. They so they didn't have uh, Jefferson's the big difference here. I Kentucky's had the vast majority of the season anyway. Levis and every single week for the last like two months, I feel like we're trying to figure out whether or not KJ Jefferson's healthy and going to play. Right? Yeah. That's the only leeway I give Arkansas here. But still, like so many opportunities here for Arkansas to do and get the game where they wanted. They they did a lot of things defensively that they had to do against LSU. They gave up less than four yards per carry against LSU. They held uh, Jaden Daniels to 10 yards on the ground total. They sacked Daniels seven times in this game. Two turnovers. They allowed only 284 total yards. But, oh, and by the way, two penalties. That's the other thing. Two penalties the entire game. But they lost because just like last season, Arkansas was forced to play without their quarterback and the offense is just not remotely the same. And there is just this lackluster feel on what's been a very good vibe with Sam Pittman that I, I'm not saying that the shine's off and it's not coming back. I'm just saying the shine is off compared to where we were three months ago. Yeah, it was, it was a big love fest. Definitely with Kentucky too. For, same, same thing. I think it, probably more so with the love fest with Kentucky. Yeah, for, for both. Uh, the combination of Levis and K.J. Jefferson, I think that's a mark against Mark Stoops because Levis is the guy that's got the big NFL pedigree. Yeah. So the, yeah. that's a big mark against him with how atrocious that offense has been. Let, let's look at the tail of the tape between these two teams, okay? I, I went through the worst losses. You're right. Vandy at home, atrocious. That ended a 26-game SEC losing streak. And they were an 18-point home favorite against Vanderbilt and lost outright in that game. Now, oh, wait, wait. Let me add to it. Mike Wright started. Yes. Who was benched after three games. And Mike Sorry. Wright had a 61-yard touchdown run. He was great. But again, backup QB here for Vandy. Um, riding a little momentum on how they've played recently. But again, they haven't won the SEC since 2019. Worst losses for Arkansas this year. Liberty at home, 21-19. We would agree on that. Yes. 23-21 to A&M. Yes. Neutral site. Both two-point losses. Best wins for Arkansas. Win over 23rd-ranked Cincinnati to open the season, 31-24. 
and uh, a win at BYU. BYU is not very good. They're going to have. They might not go to a bowl this year, but they won in Provo, fifty-two thirty-five. Those are the two best wins for Arkansas. Two worst losses for Kentucky this year. Vanderbilt, absolutely. 24-21, and I'm going to say at home, even with a backup quarterback, losing 24-14 to to South Carolina is the other one. Yes. Now, two best wins for Kentucky on the flip side. At Florida, 26-16 to is clearly their best win. And then uh, at home against Mississippi State, 27-17. to It's really close, Hutton. It's a great question. Because you could argue either side of that as to who's having the worst year. I'll say this, though, for Sam Pittman. He's not been there near as long No, well, that's as, as Mark thing. Stoops. So that's probably a notch for him in this one. But both have had rough seasons. And both guys are universally heralded by the media. Well, By those that cover them and by those nationally. And I get it. It's two programs that... While Arkansas has had a much richer history in football than Kentucky, two programs you don't expect to be at the top of the conference or the top of their respective divisions, and they both have built a clear identity around their programs and around their teams. Man, I've got a hard time answering this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go well, with Stoops okay. as the most shine has come off of it simply because Will Levis is so glaringly bad for someone I, that Mel Kuyper thinks is a top 10 pick. Here's all you need to know about Will Levis against Vandy. Joe Milton had more passing yards Saturday than Will Levis. He came into the fourth quarter. Think about that. And and here's here's by the way, Vandy. Let me also add this in. Vandy is one of the the second to worst. I think one thirty out of one thirty one in passing defense. And that's what Will Levis did against that passing defense. Missouri came in a top. 15 national defense and third in the SEC. Here's the thing, though. What we saw against Vandy for Kentucky is a trend. Because I pointed out, like, okay, they're, if you're going to go on the road and lose to Missouri after losing to South Carolina, and you've got this whole trend going here, like you're, we're going to start mentioning you with Vandy and not mentioning you with the upper the upper tier, South Carolina and other... And, you know, they go on the road and they beat Missouri, but I mean, they're a loss away from, they're, they're a play away against Missouri from finishing in a tie for the worst record interdivision, Kentucky. And then also keep this in mind. This is the deciding factor for me on the question. Arkansas, while I can say they've looked lifeless maybe a couple games, maybe one, like we'll look at Liberty. Kentucky looked lifeless against South Carolina. They looked lifeless against Tennessee. They were lifeless against Vanderbilt. They're about to get crushed by Georgia at 2.30 Central on CBS. I mean, how quickly the star has faded in Lexington with a program that was heralded as the, the number two program in the SEC East behind Georgia, the defending national champion. And when they met last year in Athens midseason, what was it, 6-0 and against 6-0, and 5-0 and against 5-0? and Nowhere close to that now. It's not even like, it, this is a game that in August I would be ready to, if I'm not watching, I'm DVRing it, right? I've got to see it. I don't have to see this game. I don't have to see Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez now. There's nothing to watch here because there hasn't been anything to see from this program against South Carolina, really against Missouri. They won the game, but Tennessee, 
boat raced. You felt that coming. Last week, lost to Vandy. Um, and allowed the, the, you had the lead, allowed the game-winning drive. And then you've got Georgia next, who does not look ahead. They do not you know, bypass certain programs uh, the way others might. And I, I realize we saw what happened with Missouri. Georgia's not going to be in a dogfight with Kentucky. I, I just don't find it possible given what we just saw, Jeff. No, no. I think this has... I mean, thirty-one to six written all over it. At best, like I, I, I don't think Kentucky can score at all against them. It's crazy to think that you just you saw the spread with Vandy and Kentucky, and I'm thinking this is like a ten-point ball game, but Kentucky's going to win, but Vandy's going to cover because you have no faith in Will Levis of really cranking it up and turning it on against any opponent, and that's which is just odd that. He's got a ton of arm talent, and it's not all, all. By the way, it's not all about him. They've recruited for years now. They should be a lot better. Um, and and Rodriguez is still very good. But I mean, this is not this is not the same Kentucky that we saw last year at this. No. Time. And meanwhile, on the flip side, you've got Missouri and Arkansas that will likely be playing in a bowl elimination game on Black Friday. Missouri plays New Mexico State this weekend. They'll get to five and six with that one. Right now, Arkansas is 5-5. Five and five. They host Ole Miss. That's probably a loss. And then they go to Missouri on Black Friday. Both those teams will probably be sitting I mean, at 5-6. and six. Winner goes to a bowl. Loser's done. Think, think about this, too. Think about that. For those two programs and expectations coming in, especially for Arkansas, how disappointing that is. And just final note on Stoops. This will be the first year in how many years that it's possible that the automatic annual... Uh, addition to his contract doesn't lock in. He only has to reach seven games. When they got the extension, the the big bonuses for seven wins were just guaranteed. Um, but he automatically has his contract. There's another year tacked on automatically at the back end for every season where he wins his seventh game. Should have been this past weekend. And now he's got Georgia and then Louisville coming up. That's... Yeah, it's... It's a great question. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good question because I think if we did a poll question around it, you'd get a 50-50 response, and it's, it's warranted. It's hard to pick one or the other in terms of which program has been more disappointing. But again, my personal answer, I'm going with Kentucky because of mm. Levis. And look, it's not Levis's fault that he's overrated by Mel Kuyper and other draft analysts. It's not. He's not that good. Um, it's not his fault that they're overrating him. But I also feel like he's th- th- those guys are hearing that from someone in the NFL. And oh, for I sure. I don't understand it. Don't understand it one bit from Cubby, what we've seen on the field. Uh, back to the NFL. We'll continue our discussion of results from Week 10. We will take a look at what Tampa did to Seattle. Have a Seattle Seahawks comparison from last year for you. And Titans over the Broncos. Steelers get the win. What that means and what the Saints are telling us. I've, I've come to appreciate one person in particular based on that Steelers-Saints game. We'll also preview Monday Night Football for you coming up on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. the scene that was Munich, Germany yesterday. Um, Buccaneers over the Seahawks. Country Road is playing and everyone singing along in the stadium. Tom Brady called it one of the best football experiences he's ever had. And this is a guy who's played overseas now uh, three, no, four times now. Where he's 4-0. He's played twice in London once in Mexico City and now once in Munich. And he said this one was unbelievable for him with the, the overall experience. And the crowd was epic. Um, and then you've got Roger Goodell, Chad, saying that they're going to play no less than four times now between now and 2025 there. Good time for Brady to get out of the country, too, now that it's been revealed that Giselle is dating her Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor. Maybe they're there. That she's been going to see... I don't know they've been dating since then, but she's been seeing this guy for Brazilian jiu-jitsu training since February. <laughs> um, so Brady picked a good time to go to Germany for this. But it was cool when he went to the, the post-game press conference. He said, thank you so much for hosting us. You've created a memorable experience for everyone that was a part of this trip uh, that went to that game. It was, it was very cool. Uh, I like this concept of every country adopting an NFL team. If you could almost have, almost like the United States Army outreach of having branches or having uh, bases in different foreign countries, if you had like an outpost for every team in the NFL, if the Tennessee Titans claimed Belgium and the Tampa Bay Bucks were Germany, and, um, I mean, you could, it doesn't have to be Europe. If the Miami Dolphins were Brazil, for example, I think that'd be pretty cool if you could somehow... I know these countries all have fans of every team, and you're not going to be able to completely avoid that, but almost an outreach program where each NFL team is adopted by a separate country, which then pulls in a game every so often where that team comes and plays in that country. I think with I think in a decade we're going to have a whole new division in Europe. I think we're headed there. See, I think that what I'm laying out is more doable in the short term. I don't disagree, Hutton. I think eventually Plus, in the future that's going to be the case. When the fan bases are going to be built, is that? I, I think it's in the next ten years. I, I think the money is going to speak to that. And also keep in mind what you're saying. I mean, last year NFL owners had the right to bid on certain television markets across the world globally some chose to do it one uh, we had eight teams that paid for rights in mexico um you know one team was in switzerland i think like it just random things like that that i think those those are the organizations that are allowed to actually advertise and boost their overall persona there for whatever reason they wanted to be in those in those areas of the world and I think that's why 
uh, to your point, I think we'll see those teams kind of rise to the top on the global recognition. You know, the Texans are, are ones that I believe went to Mexico. Rams. Yeah. Arizona. And then you've got other teams that are like, um, of course, Jacksonville, London. Um, but there was another team that was like randomly in Germany, you know? Like, well, there's, it, there's also uh, reports out the Dolphins want to play in either Spain or Brazil. Yeah. In a game. Okay. Uh, the Rams badly want to get to Australia and play a game at some point. So there's these teams that you talked about the territory grabbing for specific franchises. They're wanting to get there and, and play games. So here we go. Uh, Australia. Who, who, the, these teams played for the home marketing rights and areas. They for, bid for it, right? No. They, if you placed a bid, I think you were accepted. Like... Everybody who bid on Mexico got it. So, but you had to jump in. Uh, so Mexico, Cardinals, Cowboys, Broncos, Texans, Chiefs, Raiders, Rams, Steelers, 49ers. So my guess is not only is that branding that team, but if they're going to show games in a quote-unquote local market, those are the teams. That's my guess here. Um, I'm sure there are other reasons that all these clubs, but 10 clubs used the, the 2022 NFL draft to point out their international marketing efforts. Australia is the Rams and the Eagles. The Dolphins are in Brazil. Canada with the Vikings and Seahawks. That makes sense, right? Yep. Rams in China. Panthers, Chiefs, Patriots, Bucks in Germany. There's no coincidence that the Bucks were in Germany this year with Brady. Um, there apparently are a ton of Chiefs fans in Germany uh, reading Peter King's okay. column today. He referenced that. The Chiefs, and it was one other team that was sort of surprising. That's the big German-based team in terms of fan bases Panthers there. Panthers or Patriots? Patriots. That's okay. it. That's another they're, one. So it was Patriots. Chiefs are huge in Germany. They're paying for those marketing rights there. Um, New Zealand, Rams and Eagles. Spain, the Bears and Dolphins. And uh, the Eagles are in Ghana. And for the United Kingdom, Bears, Jags, Dolphins, Vikings, Jets, 49ers. Just... Again, it's a lot of the same teams, but these clubs last year chose to place their bids in on making sure that they can license their organization in these countries. And uh, I, I thought it was cool. It yesterday. was a great scene. I, I don't. I mean, there's. It's tough to be cynical about it when you see the fans singing "Country Roads" by John Denver together. <laughs> uh, they had "Sweet Caroline" going at one point, all in perfect English. It, it's really cool to see that level of support. And yeah, I know. Look, it's one game. You know, one game that they're going to be there, yeah, I think they're going to be there four times over the next two years or something like that. But uh, to see that level of fandom and support is really cool. And Europe is, what is it all about, Hutton? What is it always about? The money. And yep. European markets are going to be huge. They already are for the NFL. So they're going to tap into those however they can. I still just, it boggles my mind thinking about, and I know travels can get easier and easier with how you do this, but the possibility of a European division and how you work that into a 17-game NFL schedule. It won't have to be like that, though, because over half of your games will be played within the country. So you're traveling as much as the average team here anyway. But if You, you just do have it, to do long road trips when you come to the States. Yes, or they're coming to you. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, you're going to host teams, too. But you're hosting teams, but, but they're, you're guaranteed at least three games on the road in the country. Because you've got the, your, your other team. That's why they want to start the division instead of one team. 
because it would be like the Titans playing the Jags, Colts, and Texans. They would be traveling within a short distance compared you to... You swap week to week with those four teams going to that division. Or whenever. Where next week, people are going to different places in Europe and playing a game. So you're basically there for a month if you're a visiting no, no, no. team. There, but, there's, but again, there's... Uh, no, you wouldn't do that. You would have to... You would. I think every team would be assigned... That's why they want to do a division, because the division would be assigned to another... Uh, pocket or group of schedule makers would would assign like the NFC West or the NFC East, and then everybody would get one trip over because they're already doing four or five trips right now with two clubs each. So it's about the same amount. The, the only difference is you have a brand new division with four more organizations. Yeah, what I'm saying is, would it be easiest if you paired with another division? Let's say the European division those four teams match up with the NFC East. So the NFC East goes to Europe, and you're basically there for a month well, because you're going maybe. from one European team to the next and swapping out every I week. Think, I think what they would do where is... Just every, every few years, you know you're going to have a month-long trip to Europe, and that's going to happen with two divisions each year. Where they go there, and then they're going to have to come here for a month. I don't know about the logistics of that. I think they would... There's some, there's got to be some type of competitive balance where if you're if you're the crossover AFC division playing the NFC, you're only making one trip that year or something. Like no different than what you would do this year. And you have to make so many trips every so often. Like Green Bay finally played, they gave up a home game to play in London this year. Um they were the last team to do it. There's got to be some type of balance there because I don't think there's any way you can ask I mean, the amount, of, the amount of people that the organizations would have to uproot and take, just being a part of uh, a Titans road trip who stayed in Arizona for a week, it is mind-blowing the amount of staff and support team that you, ha- that you need in order to pull that off. I don't think you could do that for a month. I, but, yeah. There's a lot that has to be worked out because... It's either do that for a month and embed but it's still, in, a, in a continent and travel from city to city through different countries, or you're going to have a lot of long flight over, long flight back for different teams, yeah. back and forth. And, and more and more of these teams now are leaving on like Thursday for these Sunday games. Where they're, flying, you know, they're flying into Friday afternoon, mid-morning, or early afternoon, and just picking up there, then playing on Sunday. They don't even need time to adjust. <laughs> And that was the big talk was, oh, you got to get over there early and acclimate. So many teams now are not doing that. Uh, hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick360. Um, Jeff Saturday, getting it done on the road against the Raiders. And here he is discussing what it's like to walk into a locker room as a head coach and getting win number one. It was magical in all honesty. I, and, and I felt I felt very at peace. I felt like we had a really good plan in place. I felt like all the men who I had talked about empowering and giving them ability to do what they can do exceptionally well, they all stepped up. And so I knew what my role was and I was gonna execute my role to the best of my ability and I was gonna allow all of those men to do the same. And again, it's one win, but heck man, they're hard to get in this NFL. So uh, just, just really proud of each and every one of them in their effort. They brought it. The Raiders did not. We touched on the, the losing aspect of that earlier, and now you've got Jeff Saturday. Did you see the tweet from Jim Ursa? Yeah, this was, this was an hour ago. Yeah, I've got it right in front of me. 
Jim Irsay tweets, all you critics, you criticize all of us in the NFL for losing. When we make moves to win, you act so righteous. Who you crapping? Just win, baby. And stole a line from the late Al Davis after beating his team, the Raiders, with the just win baby at the end. It's, a, it's amazing how quickly everyone has turned on the Colts. They have been the media darling for like four years. And here they are with the owner just mocking the vast majority of media who you know, were mocking him for hiring Jeff Saturday. I don't, I don't blame him. Well, for for going after it, I, it, the media giveth and taketh away. I get it. He got the benefit of media, especially locally in Indianapolis, for a long time. Yeah. But I also have a problem with Bill Cower and others acting like you spat on the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> because you dared to hire someone who just played uh-huh. in the NFL and didn't spend twenty years as an NFL assistant, and the guy won in game one. That part makes me happy. That Saturday came in and won. Showing Bill Cowher and others, it may not be the hardest job on the planet. A crazy stat for Russell Wilson and the Broncos' offense on where they would need to reach on the scoreboard in order to have a vastly different perception of how we look at them today as they went back home with another loss after yesterday's uh, Titans victory at home at Nissan Stadium. Uh, with a very banged-up defense. We'll get into that. We'll preview Monday Night Football and much more. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So how about this? The Denver Broncos, if they score 18 points a game, they would be 8-1. and one. <laughs> Outkick 360 rolls on. Oh, that is and they nuts. brought in Russell Wilson to play quarterback. You'd and think over Nathaniel 18 Hackett. a game would be easy. Oh, Nathaniel Hackett. That's rough, man. And that, that just goes to show how good their defense has been. Yeah, if, if they score exactly 18 points... In every single game this season, they would be eight and one. Brutal. And yesterday they allowed just seventeen. They they led ten nothing against the Titans, and then the Titans scored seventeen unanswered, one seventeen to ten. Shut out in the second half for the Titans defense that was depleted of Jeffrey Simmons, Bud Dupree, uh, Christian Fulton, and others, and uh, Titans offense that doesn't have a true number one or maybe a number two wide receiver in some cases. Um, they, they found ways to score against a good Broncos defense. And Chad, this is a, a Broncos team that's going to have a new head coach next year. And you could just you could feel that coming based on just how bad the offense is 
and how difficult it is for them to manufacture points on a weekly basis. Yeah, and yesterday was... uh, It's not really the formula for the Titans to win a game like that because Derrick Henry wasn't very good. But, I mean, those are the games the Titans win. The Broncos aren't winning those games, but yet because their offense is so atrocious, it's really the only way they can win (laughs) is a low-scoring, grinded-out type affair. The Titans, by the way. the Titans on top yesterday. Titans and wins this season. 17 points. They've scored 17 in Houston. So the last two wins, they've scored exactly 17 points each. 19 points, 21, and then twice they've scored 24. So it's kind of the same thing, but you're right. I mean, they're, they're winning the tight, the tight, close games on the scoreboard in the yep. fourth quarter. And in the second half, their offense came to life yesterday. We have not seen that from this team throughout the season. Uh, for more on that, you can check out the Tennessee Power Hour at outkick.com. We will have the new episode up tomorrow evening. Uh, and it, you can download that daily at outkick.com weekly, I should say, every Tuesday. Um, again, outkick.com for that. Just click on show, scroll down. You'll see it there on the Titans. Um, the Giants. There was a point where... So uh, the, the going into this week, there was an emphasis on, oh, the Giants will win, it's the Texans. Last year, that was literally what people said about the Giants. Oh, it's the Giants. It's going to be an easy win. And now they have... It's a very interesting finish to the season. Not just because of their seven wins and where they... They have decisions to make on Saquon Barkley, who going into this game against the Texans, it, it got out that they have tabled... They have said no more contract talks. I guess they had been talking for the last few months on extension. Extension. They've, they've both mutual agreement, like, we're not going to talk contract anymore. So they've come to some point of no return, I guess. Not in a bad way, just we're not going to get anything done to the offseason. But they also have Daniel Jones, who they did, not, this, they did not pick up the option on. And those, are, those two guys are the reason why they are where they are right now. Um, defense and, um, you could, of course, day ball. And, but the new regime... It's a, I guarantee you there's no way they thought they would have this type of predicament. And things can work itself out with the injury and maybe Daniel Jones plays well or doesn't in the postseason, whatever. Uh, there's time to figure it out. But there's no way that when you take over as uh, GM Joe Shane and then you have uh, Dayball, you're thinking, you know what? We're going to have a real big decision on our hands with the Giants at, at running back and quarterback. And they do. It's crazy. Saquon Barkley had 15 carries, and in that game against the Texans, they were not even midway through the second quarter. It's, I don't think it's that close in terms of what's the bigger jersey surprise, Giants or Jets. Giants are way more surprising to me. Yeah. I could have seen this coming with the Jets. I'm, I'm surprised by the Jets yeah. that they've been as good as they have well, been. And their division, yeah. But I could see a route to them being around playoff but, capability yeah. Same thing with the Giants. come December. Yeah. You're right. But with the Giants, I was not seeing that this year. I thought it was a mess that Brian Dayball was inheriting, and I thought they were a team that was going to be vying for a top five or ten draft pick by this point in the season. Real quick on the the Saints and Steelers, and then I want we'll preview Monday Night Football. Um, the Saints, watching them play this year, I think will make us appreciate the job that Sean Payton did last year, even more when it's all said and done. Dude played four different quarterbacks last year. Injury depleted, COVID issues. I think they were the last team that actually got 
um, guys put on the a sideline because of COVID uh, outbreaks last year, and they still end up making that push at the end of the season and being eight and eight and had no business being there. This team is nowhere close to that with Dennis Allen. That's that's the value. People are like, what what makes uh, Sean Payton so great? Look at what he did last year with virtually the same group. And, and it also may be why Dennis Allen could be a one and done. But it goes back to our, our, one of our Hackett. first topics today. Some, some coaches are just really good coordinators, really good position coaches. Dennis Allen can coach defense. He's not a good head coach. And I don't think it took too much to figure that out, quite frankly. This is it's going nowhere. Uh, barring a complete meltdown, you've got uh, Baltimore, who's going to run away, I think, with the, with the AFC North. We know the Eagles are 8-0. Playing tonight on Monday Night Football. You can join us. Outkick.com slash bet is where you can place your wager on this game. I am uh, I'm taking the Eagles at home. Coming off the bye, Chad. I know you think it's a close game. I am betting on the fact that it's more of the same. The Eagles have not trailed at all in the second half this season. That's because their second quarter has been so phenomenal. Give me the Eagles tonight over the Commanders. I've got a same game parlay for you, Hutton. I'm going okay. Commanders plus 10 and a half. Uh, it's a little bit uh, hypocritical the way I'm betting here because what I'm saying and then what I'm also betting on, yep. Commanders plus 10.5, but I have A.J. Brown with an anytime touchdown, and I have A.J. Brown going over 70.5 receiving yards. I also have Brian Robinson with an anytime touchdown. $5 gets you $80 I, if all of those hit. I will say, like I, I think the Eagles pull it out. They, they, they extend the score in the second half. The Washington defense held the Vikings – last week to their second lowest point total of the season they also the eagles have allowed 570 rushing yards in their last four games combined beware of that but i would fly with the eagles tonight let's if go. I win that bet you'll never hear the end of it by the way never i might that as well play it too back at it tomorrow on outkick 360.